Hello from Houston, and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. So happy new year, everybody. Um, We are currently talking about fall grades and OCI. This is the the period in time where 1Ls are receiving their fall grades or they've already received them and it's been a month and they're just trying to figure them out. So what we've done is we've asked some illustrious guests from the board of directors to come, you know, come discuss how to handle fall grades and also how to handle, you know, searching for a job, doing OCI and, and, and whatnot. So we're going to allow them to, to introduce themselves. Sure. Um, I'm Joe Holloway. I'm a 2L at the University of Houston Law Center. Um, last summer, I worked at two different law firms. I worked at the Randall Law Office, which represents like local governmental entities, uh, small mid-sized businesses and the like. I also worked at Hunt and Andrews Kurth which is like a big international law firm that does just about everything. Um, I'll be going back to HAK for my 2L summer. Um, and let's see, after law school, I, I hope to find gainful employment as my most immediate goal. Um, I don't have a specific practice area nailed down uh, just yet, but we're working on that. So that that's me. Everyone, um, my name is Ariana Patton. I currently attend uh, Thurgood Marshall School of Law. I am too well. Um, for my 1L summer, I work at a think tank at my school, which is the Earl Carl uh, Institute for Legal and Social Policy. Uh, this summer, I will be interning with Verizon um, in their public policy team. And uh, my goal after law school is just like Joe to <laughs> be employed. <laughs> Hi, my name is Cece Burbach. I am a 3L at South Texas College of Law. Um, my first summer of law school, I clerked at the Third Court of Appeals in Austin. Uh, last spring, I clerked at Holman, Fenwick, and Willen um, doing maritime law. And currently, I'm clerking at the Attorney General's Houston office in the Consumer Protection Division. After law school right now, um, pass the bar is my number one goal since I'll be taking it in July. Um, Hopefully get an offer and I really just wanna help people. Awesome. So we have a very good group of people here to uh, discuss these questions. You know, we've all been through it. Um, These three are currently going through it. So we're we're gonna have a wealth of experience to, to discuss these questions. So the first set of questions are based on fall grades. So that's what we're going to start with. Um, The first question for our panel is, I got a grade back that I don't like. What, if anything, should I do about it? Um, I'll go first. I'd say talk to your professors. I think it's so important to go in after your grades, whether they're good or bad, and kind of go over your final with them. Um, That helped me a lot after my first semester. I got back grades that I didn't like. but it only showed me what I needed to work on. A lot of it was just writing based, not even you know law based. Um, so I think that's super important. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll echo what CC just said. Um, I think the first step is to try to figure out why you got the grade you did, whether it was a good grade or a bad grade. And the best way to do that or to start trying to figure that out is to talk with your professor. Uh, if you're missing something, they should be able to tell you. Um, and your exam might not have necessarily been bad. It's just, you know, that's in air quotes um, for the, the people listening at home. It's just that you're being graded on a curve. So your peers just had better, good, quote unquote, papers. Um, and your, your professor might be able to tell you things that your peers did that you didn't do um, or something of that nature. And then once, once you kind of have a handle on what it is you need to fix, you can start trying to fix it. If it's something legal, uh, just, you know, with your knowledge of the subject matter, you can try to learn that. Um, if it's something like CC said with your with your writing, there's ways to try to get, uh, improve your writing as well. I think fixing your writing is probably a little more difficult than just learning a, a legal issue real quick. Um, but that, that's not to say it can't be done. Uh, I know our school's got like the legal writing center that helps. Uh, I'm on that team that helps one else with their writing. Um, I think reading good legal writing is helpful. Um, and one of the things that you should probably look at if you definitely want to improve your writing, judicial internships. Uh, if you can get a judicial internship with a, a, a judge who is themselves a good writer, um, I think that's one of the best ways to improve your own writing as well. Yeah, yeah I agree with everything that they said. Um, I think the first thing is to recognize is that um, this grade doesn't define you as a person um, to know that it's, you know, yes, we have grades. Yes, that define, like that determines what type of jobs you get, but it's always a chance to come back. Um, and so, yeah, definitely talking to your professors. Um, actually, I, at my school, uh, Thurgood Marshall, we actually have a tutoring service or a tutoring center. Um, so reaching out to the tutors in that center, um, figuring out ways to better study, because I know sometimes it's really just your studying habits um, that can affect you as well. So figuring out those ways, um, understanding the material, getting going back. And if there was some like certain concepts that you didn't understand, this would be the time to go back and understand those concepts. Because as you know, as at law school, the concepts, they stack on top of each other. So um, just knowing that and, um, and believing in yourself, that's a big thing too, just knowing that you can do it. Um, and that your grade doesn't determine your overall uh, law school experience. So I guess on that note, and in y'all's experience, what have those first semester grades meant? Have they been indicative of how you've done in other classes or how you've enjoyed other classes or what practice areas you've been interested in? And I guess this time we can start in the other order, Ariana, if you don't mind going first this time. <laughs> Um, I think for me, um, I, I'm a little, I'm a, uh, like a different type of law school student because I want to go into public policy. So, um, none say. of the classes that I've taken <laughs> really, except legal writing, um, has really determined what I want to do, but it also has like piqued some of my interests. So I'm really interested in property law. Um, and that's something that I'll possibly do later on down the line. I'm really interested in wills and trusts more so. Um, but I will say that, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm different, so I can't really talk when I think Joe and Cece would probably better, be better at this question. Well, I, I think that probably, you know, it, it's 
how indicative the grades are will vary greatly depending on who you are. You know, if you got good grades, that's obviously a good sign. I think that bodes well for you, but you do have to, you know, keep up the good work. I know people who got really good grades their first semester and then relaxed a little bit and got some worse grades later. Likewise, if you got bad grades right off the bat, I mean, keep trying. There's going to be other people who relax and uh, you can kind of move on up the sliding scale there. So um, it's, it's, it's going to vary greatly from person to person. Um, in terms of like practice area, whether like those 1L courses are indicative of, of anything, um, I, I'm envious of people who know 100% what practice area they want to do. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons I, I, I taught high school before I came to law school, one of the reasons I did is I like variety. I like diversity of subject matter. And so um, I'm envious of the people who have a 100% figured it figured out. Um, but, you know, I, I've heard different things from different people on that, like trying to process of elimination it. Um, but I keep finding new areas of law that interest me. So that hasn't helped much. But um, I've gotten good grades in classes I didn't like as much and not so good grades in classes that I loved. So I, I, I hope it's not necessarily indicative of what I can do. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I feel like some of the classes that I didn't enjoy very much, like tax, which I know is not a 1L class, I did better in because I knew I wasn't, you know, I needed the extra time to study for it because I didn't like it. Um, but I will say it, it kind of helped me narrow things down. Uh, my first semester contracts was my best grade and that kind of led me down like a more transactional path. Um, but I feel like I learned more about practice areas in my actual internships than I did in law school. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it can tell you how you're going to do, but you also like, if you don't do very well, your first semester, it might light a fire in you to do better your second semester. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say it'll determine how you do the rest of law school, but it can kind of change your path a little bit. Yeah. You know, Something that I like to add is that law school is very theoretical and the exams that you take are equally theoretical. Um, there have been numerous stories of people bombing like torts or crim law and then going on to become the kingpins in that field. Like exhibit A is Joe Jamail. Joe Jamail, who went to UT, got an F in torts. And later on in, in, in his career, he got the biggest uh, judgment award, which is like billions of dollars in, in a mass tort litigation case. So anything can happen. Um, and, and that's merely because when you actually start practicing, it's going to be a very different situation than when you're just expounding or, or waxing philosophic about, you know, the concept of duty. Um, so I, I would say if you are interested in something, it's better to actually experience it, not on paper, but in real life. You know, you receive your grades. It's, it's not the best GPA. How's that going to affect your job search? Um, and, you know, how, how important is your GPA in this process of getting a job, you know, applying and interviewing? You know, how does that factor into you guys? What, what do you think? I think... It, it will affect your job search, but you kind of get got to get creative with it, right? So if you know you're not going to be in the top 
you may not go for the bigger firms. You might go for a smaller firm or, you know, network and try to clerk for a judge. Um, so I think you just have to be creative with how you do your job search. Don't feel limited to OCI. I think OCI is great, but there are so many other paths that you can go down and don't be afraid to email people, reach out to people. Um, I think I was a little timid at first, but once I learned that, um, it kind of steered me away from OCI just because I was getting more interviews, just doing the sending my resume out and uh, reaching out to people on my own. Yeah, I mean, it's there. I know a lot of firms definitely have um, GPA cutoffs, so um, they put those in their job postings. I, I'd be interested if, if y'all know how um, firm they are on those, like if <laughs> If we're, if we're like a few GPA points outside of a, a GPA cutoff, is it worth still applying? Can I supplement that with extracurriculars, prior work experience? Um, well, I, I, I can actually feel that. So let me say this. If there is a firm GPA cutoff, uh, you, you shouldn't count yourself out. Allow them to count you out give yourself the best possible chance to, you know, tell you no, right? And so if, if you give yourself the best possible package, you've done the extracurriculars, um, you, you have the prior work experience, uh, you know, you've invested in engaging in activities that align with that practice area, and the GPA is still not that good. Well, that's, that's still a better position than somebody that just has, you know, a high GPA and nothing else, honestly, because you, you have to look at the gestalt hole. Um, so never count yourself out unless it's just, it's, you know, there, there are times where it's like, okay, maybe I can't do this, but if you're around that cutoff, never, never sell yourself short, never do it. Yeah, I, I agree that I would never, I think especially, cause I think most places it's relatively easy with when you bid for OCI to just go ahead and apply anyway, unless you um, are really affected by the limit uh, of your allowed to bid. But I would answer that question with another question because I'm genuinely curious because I know at UT, um, when OCI happens, um, there's a good amount of, and the import of your GPA isn't just for people going through OCI, um, but I know what on, on, on a lot of people's minds when they're going through two LOCI is this idea of um, there are pre-selected interviews and then lottery interviews. Do y'all know for those of you who have gone through two LOCI whether there's what are all the, the screener interviews pre-selected at, at your schools or are there some that are lottery based where you could um, go through where you could like get get chosen without like kind of through a lottery system? If there's a lottery system at UH, I'm unaware of it. Um, but I get, you know, the pandemic being what it is, OCI has been a little different um, this year than it has in previous years. Yeah. Um, so our, our 2L OCI experience, CC might have a better 2L OCI. I'm not, uh, thoughts? I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but ours was, ours was kind of weird this year, so. I think it depends on the firm or who's in OCI because some of the firms I know just anyone that applies will get an interview and you know kind of go from there and then a lot you don't so I think it really just depends on the firm 
Um, and yeah, it, it is different this year. I just did it through zoom, which was a whole different ball game, but, um, yeah, I think it just really depends on the firm or the company. And I think, I think the same is true. Um, when thinking about whether, how flexible firms are, I think some firms are definitely more firm on, um, their GPA requirements. I think others maybe are a little less or more flexible or are looking for like particular, um, values or particular like culture fits. Uh, I think there's even a difference if you're, I guess maybe underlying this is maybe the I, assumption that people are looking mainly in Houston or Texas. Like you know, there's also a difference whether you're looking in Houston um, or like su Southern firms versus a, a firm with an office in the, in the Northeast um, where I think GPA cutoffs are much more important or much more stringently followed. That's good to hear because I've been I've been applying to those jobs anyway, and I, I didn't want them to think I just couldn't read. Um, obviously, obviously, this had this GPA cut off, and this guy can't read, so he's he's been applying anyway. <laughs> That's not the case. I, I I can in fact read. So no, you know, it's like as so so as attorneys, sometimes we are presented with fact patterns that don't seem uh, as favorable, but we still have to work with them. Uh, and sometimes that fact pattern is your own, right? Well, you still have to work with it. So figure it out, right? Get, you know, put yourself in the best position possible. And you can do that with more than your GPA. I feel like once you have your foot in the door somewhere, your GPA is definitely not as important. Um, I don't think it'll follow you around for the rest of your career or haunt you, I guess. It'll follow you around, but it's not going to like, be that important yeah it's it, it's like a, a casual possession not not a strong one if, <laughs> if we're using the term part all right all good news. <laughs> so so I'm let's say this without giving away too much about myself uh, <laughs> 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 so i i'm thinking uh, now would be a good time to move on to just OCI and, and the job search in general. So um, maybe Cece, you can help us start. How and when did you apply for jobs? Um, and did you only apply in Houston or Texas in general? So after my, or I guess during my 1L year, I started looking at jobs kind of around finals time. I let myself, you know, study for finals. And then I started looking through OCI and just different openings. Um, I applied in Houston and then in Austin because I'm from Austin. So it would have been easy, you know, to live with my parents um, for the summer. So I did want to stay in Texas, but those are the two cities I applied to. Um, I said I started applying for OCI kind of the week it opened, which if I remember correctly, it was right after finals, kind of December, January. Um, and then I had a few interviews, but through networking outside of OCI, I was able to get my job. And I think I got it around Feb end of February, March, which seems kind of late. I feel like a lot of, I was a little worried. A lot of my friends had, you know, offers by then. And I was oh, like, oh no, I really need, you know, to get this job. But I ended up getting it a little bit later, but it worked out for me. And I ended up in Austin, uh, like I said, at the third court of appeals. Um, so I started applying for jobs at CC um, after, well, after 1L's, my 1L first semester. Um, I, before we even got our grades back, I just immediately started applying for jobs. 
Um, and I did that mostly through LinkedIn. Um, and so I had started to get a few interviews. However, uh, the pandemic hit in March. And so a lot of the offers were rescinded um, due to the pandemic. Um, and so I didn't apply in just Houston or Texas because I was willing to go anywhere and do anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mostly focused on just the job particularly, not more so the location because um, I didn't want to limit myself. As far as networking, because CCU explicitly said networking played a role in your one, one of your jobs. And Joe, you didn't say the word networking, but you said you reached out to someone. Uh, um, networking was definitely a big part of it. So, so, so CZ, could you describe what exactly, because a lot of times people just throw around the term networking, but I, as someone who was a former 1L and always heard the term, but I was like, I hate this term. Can you just like describe what actually um, you did, if you can? Yeah, so I, anytime that uh, South Texas had, you know, an event where lawyers would come, I would come and introduce myself to them and kind of talk to them. Um, if I'm being honest, growing up in Austin, um, you know, just knowing a lot of people in the government and, you know, family, friends and all that kind of stuff. While some people say, you know, kind of stay away from that. I kind of just reached out. I was giving away kind of my resume. So I was, you know, I'm showing what I had done before um, and just emailing people. And if someone kind of said, hey, like we have an internship, I was like, well, I'm very interested. Um, so I don't, I don't think you can, I don't want people to be afraid if you know of someone to reach out. Right. It, it, if someone says, you know, oh, we might have an opening or we might go, go for it. Right. Don't, don't let that hold you back. Um, so that was kind of how I got my first internship. My second internship, the one in Houston at the law firm, um, I met my boss through a friend of a friend and he once mentioned just in a conversation like, oh, maybe you could you know, work for us for one summer. And I was like, oh, great. You know, that was kind of it. Got his email, no big deal, casual conversation. And so I ended up following up and emailing him. He was like, we don't uh, hire one L's, but if when you're a two L email me. So I remembered that. And after my first year, I emailed him and I was like, hey, finish my first year. Here's my resume. You know, if you still have that opening you were talking about. Um, and turned out they had their, summer filled up and I was like okay is your spring available oh so I kind of you know just put it out there yeah. you know I, I showed I wanted to work for them and I you know I was willing to work during the school year and it ended up working out I was the only intern there but I still got to have that experience even though it was in the spring instead of the summer very cool and that worked out as far as the timing and the pandemic and everything oh yeah it so the last week or the last two weeks were in the pandemic. So I ended up being at home. And then when my internship in the summer fell through, I was so thankful that I had worked in the spring. So I did get some sort of, uh, you know, experience that year. Um, and I've, I've found through all of my internships, I've learned more actually doing things instead of just being in class. So I feel, I felt like I gained more experience through my internships. Joe, is there any more context to your networking? Yeah, I would just say that net, I, I think networking is huge. Um, kind of like Cece said, like if there's an event, 
go half the battle showing up, um, join organizations like Hyla, you know, sh shameless self-promotion here. Uh, if you're a 1L, you should probably join Hyla. It's a great way to meet practicing attorneys in the Houston area. Um, goes, go, goes without saying, but. Yeah, yeah, just covering all my bases here. Um, yeah, I, I felt very comfortable in many an interview because I had met the person interviewing me at a previous event of some sort. Um, just takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, like there, there's no bad time to be networking. Um, like Cece said, if, if you see a job posting, don't be afraid to reach out. If you don't see a job posting, but you think they do something cool, yeah. don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, shoot them an email, give them a call. Um, the worst they can do is say, I'm kind of busy right now or no, in which case move on. Um, as far as like how I go about it, um, I, I don't have like a science or anything. I just kind of <laughs> try to show up and, you know, be myself, talk to folks. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it tends to work out more often than not. Yeah, so I, I applied pretty much exclusively in the Houston area. Um, I'm married, my wife has a job here. Um, and so I'm kind of married to the city. Um, so given that, given that I had yeah. some geographic restraints, I started applying pretty early as our school uh, lets you have contact with firms. Uh, I, I wanna say it's like the first day of November. And so as soon as that hit, I started applying places, um, interviewed some places as early as like um, early December of my 1L year. Um, I ended up getting the jobs that I got in the spring. I, I got the HAK job through the winter OCI that we did. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, uh, that the length of that, that job got shortened a little bit. And so I started reaching out to people um, that I knew who had their own law firms. And I happened to know somebody at the Randall Law Office and was able to get that job in like at very last second, uh, I think I reached out in maybe April or May and started very shortly thereafter. Um, and so that's that's kind of my various paths to summer employment. Yeah. I forgot so, to add um, about my second year <laughs> since I am a year yeah. ahead of y'all. So I clerked in the spring, like I said, at HFW. And I think for my second year, I got an internship I think it was right before the pandemic. So it had to have been late February again. Um, and that one actually ended up falling through. So through the pandemic, I had to kind of make some choices and it started to get really late and everyone either their jobs fell through and they got another job. And I, I ended up um, just doing school that summer. So luckily I had that internship in the spring um, to kind of make up for it. But yeah. I ended up focusing on school instead of, an internship just because of that pandemic. Okay. And so one, th this is good. I, it sounds like generally there's a trend of, you know, you take your finals, maybe you've already started working on your transcript, well, not your transcript, your, uh, your, your resume um, cover letter, and then perhaps you take your finals and then you start applying. Um, and I, I think that's, that generally works out. I know that things have changed though, because the NALP rules changed um, like 2018. Yeah, 2018, 2019. So when Patrick and I were in school, I, things were 
fairly strict because the NALP rules were like very defined. I think it was um, December 1st where your first yeah. year they couldn't talk to you. But yeah. now NALP rules, do they even exist? They're very loose. I think they got rid of them. I know that our 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 date that we're allowed to have contact with the firms is uh that's a that's a UH rule. That's not yeah, exactly. Exactly. So 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 one thing I would suggest to people who are listening in is you know make sure you're fully aware of what your school dictates in terms of um, engaging with firms um, and you know I'm sure they have their own internal policies but from you know and and there, there's another thing so this sort of bifurcates right so if you're just doing the standard I want to work at a firm then it's going to be very formulaic and very structured but if you're applying for a government job or for, you know, it, like if you want to go in-house like, like Ariana or, or work, you know, for the, for the policy side, then it, it's going to be like more broad because they won't, you know, they, they will have availability based on the fact that somebody left the job or if it's a small firm. Um, so that, that just goes to show like the, the time that you apply for a job might depend on your personal situation. Um, so don't let don't let the fact that people have already received offers and, and they've already started applying sort of cause you to apply earlier than you need to or feel discouraged when, you know, they have 10 offers and you don't because the places that you've applied to just have, they, they have very different uh, schedules. And just to add to that, I always tell people, even with my um, mentees, is just trust the process. Just because someone may have more offers than you, you may have a something that's better suited for your current situation. So don't focus on, like I mean, say, don't focus on anyone else. Focus on yourself. Yeah, you only need one job. So trust the process. You uh -huh. only listen. Jewels are being dropped. Please don't pawn them. That's perfect. Oh, so. Can I add something to that? Of course. Oh. Um, yeah. So in the time of COVID, I know that, you know, you really don't get that one-on-one -on -one facial, like FaceTime with someone. Um, but I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn for absolutely everything. Um, and being that I'm more so on the policy side, it's harder to um, be able to meet people, especially because I'm in um, Texas and I'm not able to like physically go to DC when I want to. But um, I use LinkedIn, any company, any um, any place that I'm looking at, I always look at some employees that currently work there and see like, am I connected to anyone in that, you know, in, in their specific realm? Um, and I reach out to them. I just shoot them a, um, a message and saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in possibly interning for this company and I want to get some more insight. Is it possible to set up a, a phone call with you, a, a 10 minute phone call? And nine times out of 10, they're always willing to talk to you. Um, you may get a few people that are like, no, I'm super busy, but nine times out of 10, they're willing to help you. So just take that step and reach out to that person because you never know they may know someone um that you know that is a part of the group that you want to work with and they may shoot over your resume so just take that step yeah the worst thing anyone can say is no i've learned that just go for it right yeah as someone who i think i had a linkedin during law school but i didn't really use it at all until i started practicing um, but like I've had students reach out to me and I think it's especially easy, especially during the time of like working from home to make time for people. Um, even if it's just like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and yeah, it's always, especially as someone who's still like pretty, I mean, I guess as now a second year, but like 
I'm always more than happy to like talk to people, talk to students, anyone who's interested in arbitration or just like what it's like to work at the firm. Um, I think yeah. most, again, like Ariana said, like nine out of 10 times the attorneys are, um, or if they're not attorneys, the employees are. Uh, uh, it's, it's fun to talk about what you do. I think there's one thing that's kind of good to come out of the whole virtual pandemic thing. It's that more people are comfortable with this video software than ever before. And so um, you might have opportunities to face-to-face -face talk with somebody um, who you might otherwise just have to talk with over the phone yeah. or they might just be hard to find time, a time where you can go get coffee with them or something. This is really facilitated. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish we could still go to like in-person networking events, but this is, this is, uh, I I'm glad that this is available, yeah. um, during this very strange yep. time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it really it widens. also helps for the introverts. Yeah. <laughs> the introverts, yeah. As a hundred percent. And it helps also if you don't know exactly where you want to be, you could explore wherever, or you don't have to be in school in the same city to, to connect with someone, um. So, yeah, I was going to say too with Zoom, like I said, I kind of limited myself to Austin and Houston, but now I'm able to get, you know, work from the San Antonio office, the El Paso office, places that I wouldn't have reached out to. But now, through everything being work from home virtual, you're kind of able to work in different cities that you never would, even from home. Yeah. Well, so. As far as the actual process um, of going through sort of the gauntlet of different interviews you go through when job searching, um, one of the most, com well, someone is always going to ask you if you have questions for them during an interview, um, whether it's in the middle of the interview or at the end. Do y'all have any favorite questions that you like to ask people during those interviews? The, the one question that I make sure to ask in pretty much every interview, I, I like to ask people what their favorite part of their job is. And um, if they have a hard time thinking of it, maybe that's not the best sign in the world. Um, but I, I like to know what they're excited about um, in their own work. That's, and it's fairly easy for people to talk about that more often than not. But um, as somebody with you know varied interest, I like hearing what yeah. other people are excited about. So I always ask that one. That's actually my favorite too. You took mine, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but an another one is um, what does a day in a life um, for an intern look like? And that just, that way you can get a better understanding of like what they expect of you, um, you know, what exactly you'll be doing every day. Um, and it may change depending on the company. So that's something to really focus on. Um, and something that I asked just to get a better understanding is uh, what's the biggest opportunity or challenge for that company or that firm right now? Um, and so that gives a more insight on what's going on. Um, when, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a high level. They're going to tell you the, you know, a high level answer, but it's, it's better to get a better understanding for yourself. Um, that way you can know how to attack it. Yeah, I'd um, echo both of them. I kind of say, what's your favorite thing you've worked on this year? And if you want to ask it in a different way, um, just to kind of get a feel of, you know, what they do and what they like to do there. Um, I think something else that is so important is asking, what is the office culture like? So if you're kind of a high strung office, everyone sticks to themselves. Are you a collaborative office? Do you wear jeans on Fridays? Kind of getting a 
a vibe of how the office runs and works because you might do really great working by yourself or maybe you like being in a collaborative office so I think that's super important to know what you're coming into Maybe Patrick so, y'all have uh, a question that you like being asked yes yes so I, I was just gonna say I, I think two good questions um, that I certainly like to hear so the first one would be when people ask um, how the the summer program is set up specifically regarding the work that uh, summer associates are, are expected to do. Um, this is a good question because I think, you know, when I was a summer, I wanted to see what I was actually going to do. And I didn't want to do work that was just evaluative. I wanted to do real work. Um, the, the, the legal field is about practice. It's about experience. And you don't want to be placed in a program in which they are giving you these like these like placebo assignments where all they're doing is just, you know, this is like company A, company B. You want to do real things. So if 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 your firm is working for, you know, like Shipley's Donuts, you want to work for Shipley's Donuts. You want to be able to, you know, help them on some you know, demand letter or, or if Shipley's is trying to, you know, or, you know, do some asset pur purchase agreement, you want to be able to actually work on that and, and gain some real experience. Um, and the reason for doing that is you want to see how your life is going to be like uh, when you actually join the firm. You want, you want to see how they train uh, new associates. Um, I think another question that's good is uh, you want to ask what the firm is doing uh, to promote associate development. Uh, which just lines up with with the same aspects. Um, when when you join a firm, you are going to be an empty vessel. It doesn't matter how many classes you've taken. You can take, you know, international uh, real estate law <laughs> one through five. You can take, you know, as many internships as possible. But when you get there, there's going to be a lot that you don't know, and you want to go to a firm that is willing to shell out some cash, shell out some time to train you in the way that you'll need um, so that you can be the best attorney that you can be for your firm. Um, and, and if that firm doesn't have that much to say when you provide uh, that question about associate development, then that's something that you need to factor in. So um, let's see, does anyone have any advice or do's and don'ts for succeeding in an interview? And then uh, we also want to add, you know, for for this year, um, what what are the do's and don'ts for a virtual interview? Um, my number one do, it's kind of a must for me, is look up the company ahead of time. Look up the law firm, see what they do, see who works there, notice all their different divisions, and come with questions specific to that law firm. You want to show you're interested in their firm, not just getting a job. So I think it's super important to do that. I think that's the number one thing. Um, I think the second thing is just be yourself. I know interviews can be intimidating, but they're so much better when you can kind of joke or banter or kind of show your personality, right? Because they see everything on paper, but they need to also see if your personality will fit within their firm. Um, also, eye contact goes a long way, especially over Zoom. It's really hard to get that 
kind of intimate connection with someone. Um, so eye contact, nodding, especially when you're on Zoom, show that you're listening to them. Um, I think that would be my advice for Zoom. Also, wear a full outfit. Don't put pajamas on the bottom and you know a blazer on top. You never know when you're going to stand up. You never know when, you know, things happen. So just make sure you're fully dressed for an interview, even on Zoom. I feel attacked. I'm not going to lie to you about that. I was uh, going to say, I was like, yeah, Cece would definitely be upset with me. Oh, <laughs> I, I wear leggings right now and a sweater on top, but interviews, it, I bet, better be safe than sorry, right? Yeah, I guess I, I'm trying to decide. I feel like I would maybe do the same thing just because maybe like there's a mentality piece to it where it's like I'm dressed up and I'm like put together. Um, Cause I definitely did that for virtual like proceedings a couple of times where I would put on the whole thing, even though anytime I move, I, I definitely, I turn my camera off. Like if I'm gonna get out, I just feel weird about having a camera on when I'm not there. Um, but hmm. I'd say also because I forgot to mention this cause no one can see me on this podcast, but having if you have stuff in the background having just like a, a white background or something to put behind so if your roommate walks by or your bed's unmade they're focusing on you and not the things in your background even though i love you know seeing the dog in the background i think it's important to f focus on you so uh, i i agree with most of what cc just said um I'm going to do a counterpoint on the virtual background, though. I, I leave my normal background that has like, you know, kind of, it's got my guitar amp. It's got my guitar. It's got my little keyboard. Um, I, you know, I shut the door and make sure my wife and my dogs don't come in. But I've had lots of people ask me, um, in, in, oh, you play guitar. And that's something that we've been able to talk about. Um, I kind of purposefully just kind of let people into my little world here. So um because stuff is, uh, like you yeah. said, you want to be yourself yeah. uh, in these interviews. And so, um, you know, that's the stuff behind me is kind of part of, I have it for a reason. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's great to have like stuff in the background, but at the same time, if your bed's unmade, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think it's great to have a guitar. Right. And if you're. Yeah. Well, and also my wife might be a more understanding roommate <laughs> than a lot of roommates. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> and I not say. traverse the background you, you never know but uh i think not having a bed in the background is a best practice i don't know why but i think something about i I've, i don't know something about having a bed just seems strange right and for me i'm i live with two other roommates so my desk is in my room so i don't really have very many options so that's why I, my bed is made but that's why i do this yeah. is to kind yeah. of keep my yeah. bed private because I don't really have another option That's right fair. now. Yes. Uh, but if you have another room, I think it's great, but you know, got to work with what you have. Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess one thing that I, you know, is particular to me as a very melanated man, I think lighting is important. You want to have, you know, another source of light so that uh, the people that are viewing you can see you correctly. Um, that's good. Um, you know, it's always hard to do, but make sure that you have a good connection. Um, and so sometimes that means like maybe turning off a couple, you know, different devices around you, just making sure that there's only one connection. Um, if you have a hotspot, maybe you could use that as well. 
Um, and so one thing that I like to do is I, I like to use my iPad just because I, I think it's just better at recording than computers. Computers just have so many different things working in the background that I feel like it just uses the CPU a bit more. That's very technical, um, but you know, in, in this current climate, you, you have to think about the technicalities. Ariana, did you uh, have any? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I agree with Cece when it comes to the like researching the company. I think that's a big thing. Um, one thing that I always do is um, when I'm researching a company, I also look at their corporate social responsibility um, efforts because I think that really tells you about the whole of the company. Um, I'm big on diversity in any company that I work with because I am a black woman, but um, I, I really look at that. I look at what they're doing in, within the communities. I look at um, a lot of companies, nine times out of 10, they have like emissions and stuff like, um, so I look at that. I look at the, the, the core of the company. I think that corporate social responsibility is that. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to just go to a company that, you know, yeah, the, the pay may be good, but, <laughs> um, you're, you're struggling or you're like, you don't really like being there. Um, and so that's always what I would uh, do. The second thing is, Make sure you know who you're, uh, who's interviewing you. So one thing I do, like I said, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and all their business on LinkedIn. So I always look, um, look at my interviewers, um, what schools they went to, just to see if we have some type of commonalities. Um, yes. I also. Um, I also just, and, and when you prepare for interviews, just um, like any questions that they could possibly ask you. Um, I think like going online and typing in the company and saying like, intern questions. Um, there's a lot of times that it'll pop up and they'll, they'll say like some questions that they've been asked in interviews. Um, and so like practicing what you would say, practicing your resume, just, you know, because they're going to ask you, tell me a little bit about yourself. And so you don't want to put something on your resume. And then when they ask you about it, you're like, oh, um, you don't have any type of uh, story to tell with that. How and, did that um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like struggling to pull something together and they're like oh no she's not honest <laughs> so or she's not honest um so that's something that's big and then also just um bringing your whole self to the interview like being honest and true with yourself you know there may be questions that you're not prepared for um and something that I do is I just take a deep breath and I say you know that's a good question and as I say that's a good question I'm thinking of the answer immediately <laughs> so um just kind of taking a, a breath and um just showing your personality. I'm someone that likes to laugh a lot. So um, when people ask me questions, I'll try to think of the funniest situation that's happened to me um, to kind of make them laugh as well. So then I'm like, okay, maybe I do have this interview in the bag. <laughs> um, uh. And one thing also, my last thing is after my interview, I always send a, a follow-up email the next day uh, within the 24 hours. And I say, you know, just thank you um, for interviewing me. And then something that you learned about that interviewer during that interview, just highlight it say you know I um it was great to hear about your personal journey to the position that you're in um and that that lets the interviewer know that like you actually were listening in that interview you actually do care so um that's just my little tips and tricks yeah Ariana, I'm so glad you said that because I always try to send an email after thanking them and you know I I, I look forward to hopefully working with you in the future seeing you again talking to you again um, and like you said, it's so important to highlight something you talked about or something that was interesting, specific to that person. Um, and send multiple, I don't like, if there's three interviewers, send three individual emails to them. So they know you're just not blasting them. Thanks. Um, but I think that's a great point. 
One thing uh, UH offers before, and this is kind of pre-interview prep, but they, they, our career development office will do mock interviews. And that's a great way to like, kind of get your feet under you before you ever step foot in an actual interview. Um, and, and they'll bring in practicing attorneys to like go through this mock interview with you and ask, you know, more or less the same questions you'd get from anybody else. So uh, I did that last year. I thought it was pretty helpful. So on the front side, that's something you can look at. No, I, I second that point about mock interviews. Um, take as many as you can um, and take them seriously. Like it, it has mock in front of the name, but you know, these attorneys are you know, literally stepping away from their jobs to provide you with the best possible chance at getting a job. Um, and, and you know what? People do actually get jobs from mocks, so. I always just try to come in with some enthusiasm to make sure I'm nice and caffeinated, have my, my cup of coffee already. Um, and the other thing is, like, you want to be, like, you need to know if you like those interviewers or not, as they're representing the firm and you need to know whether, um, you could see yourself working with them and you you click with them. And ideally, someone mentioned being yourself, like you want to be as authentic as you can in that interview because you want to be hired for being your authentic self and so that you can be your authentic self in the place where you're working. I think too, you know, and the job is super important and trying to impress them is really important, but also you have to remember like this is for yourself. So if you are getting a bad vibe if you are not clicking you may not click with that firm and right I mean I think it's important you know an internship doesn't mean you're going to be there forever but I think in the future it's important to know if if it's not going to work out like it'll be okay you'll find something else it may not come immediately but you really have to think about yourself because if you're not happy at work you know it, it affects the rest of your life well, and, and lawyers tend to spend fairly long hours at work. And so these are the people you're going to be spending those long hours with. I've had several jobs prior to law school and all of my favorite ones, they were my favorites, you know, not just because of the work, but because I enjoyed doing the work with the people I was working with. And so that's a big thing. Nine out of 10 lawyers will tell you that their favorite thing about, but maybe 10 out of 10 people will tell you that their favorite thing about their job is the people, right? Um, so listen to why that they think it's the people, because that'll also, um, you. everyone wants to, I, I hope people want to be around people that they like during the day when they're working. And so um, hopefully you'll, ha you'll have the same reasons of what you're looking for with the people that you work. So we have a final question, and this final question is specifically designated for Cece and Ariana. So, um, you know, in my past, I've, I've noticed that a lot of uh, my my women friends have had a, a variety of thought, pr primarily based on their own mentors who have told them, you know, to do X, and then some have told them to do Y. So we just want to provide uh, the women who are listening to this podcast some some insight. So. How should women present themselves in an interview um, in terms of hair and clothing? I guess I'll go first. Um, I think I'm pretty strict with how I like to look in an interview. I'm very uh, traditional, I would say. So first of all, wear what makes you comfortable. I know suits aren't like the best thing, but if you're great, if you like skirts, wear a skirt. If you like dress, wear an appropriate dress. For me, I like wearing a pantsuit. 
I'm 5'10". I don't want to worry about how short my skirt is on me, long, all that kind of stuff. I feel most confident in a pantsuit. So I typically stand, um, stick to like black or navy pantsuits with a white top, you know, something that covers you in a way um, that's still appropriate. Um, even though I said I'm tall, I like to wear heels. I feel confident in them. I feel powerful. Sometimes I'm taller than, you know, the men in the room and that's fine with me. Some people aren't. Um, but I like to, you know, I stick to like two inches and under nude or black, depending on my suit. Um, and I feel like once you kind of get the internship, get the job, you can be a little more creative with how you wear, but in the interview, you don't want your clothes to do the talking. You want to look professional and kind of stick to your strengths and what you bring to this job. You don't want someone staring at you because of your clothes. Um, with my hair, I just, you know, I, I like to make sure it's brushed and um, something that's, you know, not distracting, presentable. I just have plain brown hair. So I, I try to keep it down and uh, out of my face. Um, Ariana, I don't, you might have a different perspective. Yeah, um, I do agree that you should um, keep it plain um, when it comes to interviews. I'm not really a suit jacket type of person. I absolutely hate them. They make me feel so like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I uh, So I just typically wear, I mean, in, in times of COVID and it's online. So I typically just wear a button down um, and I nine times out of 10 have like sweatpants on <laughs> as my pants, but um, just definitely uh, having a, a button down on. Um, I am more of a, on the curvier side. So I typically try to make sure that like, any shirt that I'm wearing doesn't show too much cleavage, um, you know, just kind of keeping it, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Um, keeping it, yeah, keeping it professional. Um, as far as my hair goes, um, with uh, me being a black woman, my hair is very versatile. So in any time I may wear my natural hair or like I wear, as, I'm, as you guys can't see, but my hair's straight right now. So it really just depends on the day and the time and however I feel like uh, wearing my hair. But normally for interviews, um, I really think that there's this whole thing that's going on within the black community with what is professional, especially for your hair. And I think, um, you know, I think braids are perfectly fine, um, but I'm also, I'm not, I mean, I've worked um, prior to coming here and I never really had a problem with, um, you know, getting a job based off of my hair, but I typically try to make sure that I like, if I do have braids, just put it back into a ponytail because I don't want that to be my, my center point. I don't want you focusing on my hair. I want you to focus on what I have to say. Um, so typically it's like putting it back in a bun or um, just making sure that it's kind of sleek um, to where it's not like, if you have curly hair, you, we all know that it gets to be a little unruly. So um, <laughs> just making sure that like, and in, in everything that you do, in, in any hairstyle that you want, you want it to look neat. Um, you don't want it to, like, I would say, you know, don't go with the crazy colors um, with your, your hair. Kind of try to keep it more on a professional side. Like, I wouldn't have purple hair. I wouldn't have pink hair, um, especially within these um, firms. It's cool to express yourself. But like Cece said, you're trying to get the job. Um, and once you leave that job or once you, you get the internship, you get the job, you can kind of be exactly who you want to be. And so maybe if you want to dye your hair purple after you get the job, you know, that may be a little <laughs> bit more 
<laughs> I mean, that's up to you. You can do what you want to do. I personally wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just really just, um, and then also feeling confident with what you're doing, like feeling confident with your hair. Um, if you feel like, um, you know, wearing your hair straight um, from curly would help you in a better sense of getting the job, um, then do it. But if you feel like you're changing yourself in order to fit in, I would say, you know, that's something that you have to check within because if you're changing yourself to get a job then maybe that job is not for you. Um, so it's really just being your, like, like we said, being your full authentic self, but then also knowing that you are in a professional, like you chose to be in this professional setting. So you have to kind of abide by that. Um, but just making sure that like your views of yourself aligns with the company views of itself. But I've been in interviews where um, the women, they have afros or they have, you know, crazy hair, but they're allowed to do that because they, they're interviewing you. They have the job. Um, and there's been times where I may have worn my hair curly and they actually complimented me on me and complimenting it like, oh, you know, I, how do you get your hair like that or something like that. Um, that's always been, you know, a conversation starter. So just really, if you feel comfortable enough to be able to talk about your hair, then do what you have to do. But if you don't feel comfortable enough talking about your hair in the interview, then I would say just keep it, you know, professional. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, when it comes to kind of accessories and jewelry, my rule is just don't go crazy. Very simple things, maybe your everyday. I know typically I, I wear the same necklace every single day. It's very simple. Um, I always have my Aggie ring on. It's kind of a com conversation piece. So I keep that on and maybe a watch. I don't try to accessorize too much. Um, and then when it comes to kind of bags, I have just like a plain black tote. And I like to keep like a pad folio in there with, you know, questions or extra resumes, stuff like that to keep in there. Um, uh, maybe like a writing sample, something like that. Um, I typically like to keep it just plain. And like we were talking about, once you get the internship, you get the job, you can be a little more expressive, like wear, you know, a different color shirt, wear a little more jewelry, put your hair up, you know, kind of, tinker with it. And then in my last interview, I was wearing, like I said, a full pantsuit and he was like, Hey, around here, like, it's great to have, you know, your, your jacket in case we go to court or something, but around the office, you don't have to wear it. So I would have, I'm glad I kind of overdressed. And then they kind of were like, Hey, the women around the office, you know, typically just wear, you know, their button down, you don't need a jacket. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's always better to be a little overdressed than underdressed. Okay. You can always take stuff off. Yeah. but you can't, you know, go and yeah. reach for a jacket or something like that. So yeah, and just to, oh, just to echo with CC, I normally, when it comes to jewelry, I'm not really big on wearing it. I wear like a bracelet, but um, yeah, I would keep it very minimal. You don't want, like my bracelet actually like jingles. That's something that may inter like, inter like interrupt the interview. So it's like, typically I take it off, but the bare minimum is the best when it comes to jewelry. But then also with makeup, I think makeup's a big thing um, because I know a lot of women wear it. And so trying to more so tone it down, give it more of a natural look more than anything. Like don't, uh, if you're not good at makeup, don't try wearing makeup that day <laughs> because you never know what it's going to look like. <laughs> don't try it to the eye the day of the interview. <laughs> yeah, it may not come out right. And then everyone's like, uh, what did she do with her face today? Um, so just, yeah, making sure you tone it down, um, wearing like bare minimum makeup. Um, I typically like don't wear eyeshadow, uh, mascara, 
little foundation here and there, but like nothing too outrageous to where it's like drawing attention, right? Like, like I was saying, drawing attention away from your, what you look like, but more so to what you're saying. Cause that's, you know, ultimately what they're looking for. This has been, I think, very good for, for people who are listening. Um, I, I do feel like guys can't get, get away with it too easily. So I wanted to ask Joe, Joe, do, do you think there are like some absolute like no-nos that, that guys should follow in terms of appearing for, for an interview? How do you pick out a tie? I have two suits I wear. I have a charcoal suit. I have a navy suit. Um, I typically wear a, you know, barely, probably just a white dress shirt under it and a fairly plain tie. I, I don't, uh, I don't do novelty ties, and I think that's probably the uh, the safest way to go. I don't know if that would be uh, the interview setting is the day to wear like you know a tie with my dog's face on it or something. Um, you I, actually I have that. Pretty. I don't oh, wear I don't wear black suits to interviews because I don't want to look like I'm going to a funeral. Um, but that's but the other one than that, rule that I I've learned where it's like. I don't think it's even strictly abided by in the legal community, but I, I learned at some point or heard that men shouldn't wear black to interviews or to work um, and just do navy or charcoal, but that's not even like a hundred. I've seen some people violate that rule, quote unquote, but. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it just, you don't want to look like you're going to a funeral. Um, <laughs> nobody's happy at those occasions. So uh, let's just uh, go in a different direction um nice charcoal or navy that'll that's always a solid pick yeah. uh make sure that you trim out if you've got a beard i think everyone all all benny's got a beard patrick you've got a beard i have a beard so i just try to make sure it's not ungangly before uh yeah before i go in anywhere make sure that's nice and trimmed up go get a haircut sometime the week before just, we have it pretty easy guys so um, yeah i think something that also applies to men and women too, is if you buy a suit, it, especially for women, it might not fit you perfectly. Like, don't be afraid to go to a tailor. I know it can kind of be expensive, but I promise you in the long run, it's going to make you look better and feel better and present yourself better. And like I said, I've had my suit since college. So I've had it for over six years and, you know, getting that tailored was super important because everyone has a different body shape and yeah. women don't have the you know the inseam measurements that men get on all their pants which I think needs to be changed but that's another uh, <laughs> but, yeah but no I, I definitely time. say that a a cheap tailored suit in my mind is superior to a an expensive untailored suit I agree I agree completely and I, I think with, as well yeah with especially with women it's like I'm super tall and not a lot of pants are made for people my height and taller. So either I have to get a bigger size or, you know, try a different brand. And so maybe the waist is too big and you don't want to be frumpy. So I think it's super important to tailor it. And especially short girls too. You might have to tailor it. You don't want your pants dragging on the ground. Um, yeah. So I think that's important. Yeah, I'm a part of the short girl community. So <laughs> I agree. Uh, <laughs> um, but also just to um, say something that CC brought up earlier as far as like um, like expensive versus um, on the cheaper side, I find that like 
any, I'm a, a champagne on a beer budget type of girl. <laughs> so I typically buy a lot of my clothes, like, um, Ann Taylor actually has an outlet, um, Banana Republic, they have an outlet. So like trying to, like, there are certain companies that have outlet stores, um, that are, you know, um, typically in the regular store, they may range from like a hundred, two hundred dollars but in the outlet, it's probably like $50, $60. So it's uh, cheaper. So I always would check there first to kind of find something um, before going to their stores. And also like, depending on, you know, how you feel, there's a lot of um, thrift stores that have really good, um, uh, really good suits and stuff that you could go get tailored. I personally don't like thrift stores because of the the smell, but um, if that's, you know, your, your <laughs> you can definitely try it. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good point. And Taylor, I actually signed up for their emails, which it can be annoying to get emails from websites, especially retail sites. But, you know, once a month, they'll have a 70% off sale. And that's when I go and I see like, oh, like I like these pants. I might as well get another pair or this top. So I think it's important. You always delete them. But if they're having a 70% off sale, you'd rather get the $30 yeah. top than a $100 top, right? And it's the same quality. And so- I think that's really, you know, a good way to kind of look for sales and then you don't have to go out of your way and look, um, you know, it just comes to your inbox and you can kind of scroll and yeah. do that kind of thing. I, I guess the, I have two things to add. Um, one is for men. The other, I think would apply for everybody. The first one is if you're interviewing as a guy, you should wear a tie. You don't have the luxury to show up looking like, you know, the, 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 the VC, you know, executive who thinks he can just wheel and deal. No, you, you need to look like you're here to, to interview and get a job. Um, I'm allowed to not have my tie uh, if, if I'm interviewing you. Um, so, you know, it, it's just about play, playing your position. Uh, the next one is if you have an outfit for your interview, it's probably a good idea to wear it before the day of the interview. Um, as, as a guy who is, you know, gone up and down and wait multiple times it is possible that i would buy pants and they they may fit the day before the interview um but they may not and so i it's it's a good idea for me to try them on and, and make sure everything fits uh before because trust me it's, it's going to be hard to like go to ross find clothes um that fit and then get home change and, and make it to the interview um or you know even on zoom I think about every week told me that before my fall 1L, because I, I definitely went to my first interview. I hadn't put on my suit in a while and I'd lost a little weight. And it, I, <laughs> I was fortunate to have a, a very good belt. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think that's a good point too. Trying it on first, laying it out, making sure it's steamed. I think that's also important. Things can wrinkle. So setting it out like you're in first grade, right? Setting, yeah. you know, setting it aside and making sure you have all your pieces together. Good. I think this applies also to, we haven't talked about shoes very much, but you don't want to wear like brand, brand new shoes um, if you haven't locked in them. I think that applies to both yeah, uh, men and women. But Yeah, and girls in heels. I mean, like I said, I like wearing them in an interview some people don't I also wear flats in an interview so I think that's important knowing if you're going to get blisters putting band-aids on your feet before so you're not kind of cringing in the interview or walking down the hall when they're showing you around 
wow yeah we're definitely wear comfortable heels don't wear uh the fashion heels because those typically are only for going out but knowing the difference between what is a business heel um and not wearing super tall heels um just you know kind of figuring out what works for you you may be more comfortable with wearing taller heels but that company may see that as you know not appropriate for work so just kind of looking and looking through your shoe closet and seeing you know what works best for you flats are yeah. fine I'm not a flats girl <laughs> yeah and I thought fo I follow the rule of covering my toes I know men don't really have this problem but women <laughs> have so many types of shoes and I personally which maybe other people don't but I find it inappropriate to have my toes out especially at an interview I like to keep my toes covered um, and then you don't have to worry about having a pedicure, that whole thing, people looking at your toes. I don't know. I just try to find shoes that cover my toes, whether they're flats or like heels. Yes. Yeah, we have it so easy. Uh, <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. I feel like if guys, or... have the, if, if, I, I think if guys had the opportunity to wear, uh, shoes that showed off their toes, they would still take it. And in that universe, the the answer would be the same. Like, please choose the shoes <laughs> with no toes. Right. No one wants to see your feet. I promise. <laughs> no, no. I promise. <laughs> like, this is the first time I've seen you for an interview, and I am very in intimate with your feet. Like, that's <laughs> not good. Um, well, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, this has been wonderful. Um, if Do you guys have any, like, last-minute comments for people who are listening in More about grades, OCI, or anything? more questions I think just remember to trust the process like don't get too swept up in grades or interviews you know you'll end up where you want to be if I could talk to myself my first year that girl would have no idea the journey I've been on um and it goes by so quickly so just try to enjoy it I know that's maybe not <laughs> what you want to hear uh, being in law school but you'll end up exactly where you want to be even if you don't think you will yeah, I'd say just keep in mind it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, 1L falls important, but it's not the be all end all. Um, and then this year, you know, the 1L started law school at what we'll say is an, a very interesting time to start law school. And so I, if you liked it, if you didn't, I would, I would take everything that's happened thus far this year, maybe with a little bit of grain of salt, um, just keep in mind that these are not normal times. Um, hopefully we can get back to more normal um, times sooner rather than later. Because um, some of the best parts of law school are getting to know everybody in your classes and things like that. Um, and that's harder to do in a virtual environment. Um, so just keep that in mind, could, could get better um, before you know it. Yeah, my um, last words would just be, remember who you were before you came to law school and remember why you came to law school and remember the goals that you want to attain um, by the time you end law school. And if you don't have those goals yet, set those goals for yourself so that it'll be easier to go through this process. Because I think one thing for uh, me was law school is hard. We all know that it's hard, <laughs> um, but you have to have that reason why. Um, and when you have that reason why, it kind of makes the, the process go by a little bit better because um, there are going to be times in which you want to say you want to give up. I had those moments a lot, <laughs> um, but you just really have to believe in yourself and believe that um, you're here for a reason. And um, once you know that reason and once you attain that reason, then 
life will get a little bit better. Thank you guys so much for joining us and take care. It's been so, I wish we could do the highlight stuff in person because I really wish I could get to know y'all more during the course of this year, but I'm sure we'll see each other around through the year and beyond. Yeah, in due time. Thanks for having us, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlightspodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.